0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you have. And one of the things that economists are watching with fear is how many people are going to default on various loans they have with us being in the midst of an unusual, but what's a very deep recession. Well, so far, the data is really good. The latest data available is several weeks old, but it's still really solid because it covers when unemployment was at its highest as a result of the layoffs with coronavirus and when you look at what is not getting paid right now what is in deferment or some other form of forbearance or something like that overwhelmingly three quarters of the loans in the country that are in some form of uh, payment status where you don't have to pay right now and you're still considered to be okay, student loans. And that's because of an act of Congress that discontinued collection on federal student loans for an extended period of time that ends in September. Now, when October 1st comes around, that's when we'll see the 76 million student loan borrowers covered by this How do they handle things going forward? And are they able to stay current on student loans? So you don't have to catch up on them. It's a true payment holiday that people are in right now. And I shared with you last month about the huge screw-up from the U.S. Department of Education contractor that had ruined the credit of nearly 6 million Americans reporting them as delinquent on loans that were on payment holiday. I mean, you don't even apply for payment holiday. You just get it automatically. There's no attempt to collect on your loans anything like that on most federal student loans. And still, the Department of Education's contractor messed up and reported nearly 6 million people as delinquent. I mean, ridiculous. But anyway, when you look at other forms of borrowing, as you might expect, The largest number of people who have fallen behind on their payments, credit cards. Now, what I find especially interesting with the credit cards is, you know how back in the winter I was talking about how the economy was slowing and I was giving some stats and one of the stats I gave was the number of people who were not making their credit card payments on time had risen significantly and crazily there's almost no meaningful significant increase in the number of people who've fallen behind on credit cards after we got into the coronavirus mess versus before it's a little tick up but not a lot but the credit card thing looks like as we move through the rest of the year it's going to be a real issue for people who are Are wheezing with too much credit card debt auto loans the number of people who are falling behind on them that has actually looks like it's about according to the data from TransUnion it's at least tripled the number of people who are having trouble making their vehicle loan payments mortgages on the other hand very little change slight uptick in people not being able to make payments so for the most part at least for now people's ability to handle their credit has not changed dramatically pre and post coronavirus and Capital One which tends to have a customer base for credit cards that spans the gamut from people who don't have the greatest credit in the world to people who have really solid credit, only 2% of their credit card customers are in some kind of accommodation with Capital One and not much of an increase from before. Where the real problem is, is auto loans for them. 13% of auto loan borrowers can't make their payments right now. And I want that to be a special alert to you with the way vehicle prices have run up more and more people are taking on more vehicle and more payment than they can afford in good times or bad taking on too much vehicle debt and it can come back to bite you it's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com ask producer kim who do you have a question from
2: This is from Andrew in Alaska. Andrew says, hi there. I am constantly impressed by your ability to continue to provide excellent advice amid these crazy times and for giving us all positivity when the news has been overwhelmingly negative. On to my question. I'm wondering how I should accept payment when selling my car to an individual. I know Clark says only to use apps like Venmo when paying people you know, But what if the individual was to write me a check and Uh then I used my credit union's mobile app to deposit it? Would this be a way to protect myself from fraud?
1: No, that would not protect you from fraud. I'm smiling as you read that question, Kim, because a friend of mine is selling a car he's got and asked me, almost i could read you the text it's almost the identical question it's a good question yeah because he said my friend said hey i know people get ripped off doing this how do i do this all right so there's only two procedures i know that will give you the best protection one is that the money is wired to you because even cashier's checks are very heavily counterfeited today And someone's check that you deposit with a mobile deposit will post and clear your account, but it doesn't mean it won't bounce back either because of insufficient funds or because it was a counterfeit check later and your vehicle's gone already. So I think wiring is the most protective way for you to get paid for a vehicle. Second most protective way during hours at the bank or credit union that the individual does business at you go in at an appointed time and if required at the bank or credit union under today's restrictions you make an appointment to sit down with a bank or credit union employee and you have two bills of sale that you each sign as buyer and seller both copies has the VIN on it the date of purchase the miles the description all that stuff and then the bank or credit union employee issues you a bank check or credit union check official check cashier's check whatever they call it at their institution and you leave with true real collected funds and those are the two safe ways that i know of
3: joel Clark Maryland in Georgia says, with the coronavirus, we canceled our cruise we booked with one of the major cruise lines for this past April. We have a voucher for a cruise that needs to be used by December 31st, 2021. Is there a chance that this cruise line isn't going to be around, though, for us to be able to rebook a cruise? Should I be pushing for a cash refund instead?
1: So who canceled the cruise? The cruise line or the cruise? person posting the
3: question she says we canceled the cruise but Uh, i mean if it was in april my assumption is the cruise was obviously canceled anyway
1: yeah so this is that game we were talking about back in march when people had decided not to go on cruises to not cancel and wait for the cruise line to cancel if you canceled of your own volition before the sailing date was canceled odds are that a credit is what you're going to receive do we know which cruise line Uh, Yes, Royal Caribbean. All right, so the three bigs, Royal Caribbean, which is the middle of the big three, NCL, and Carnival, Carnival the biggest of them, the three cruise lines account for somewhere between 75 and 80% of all cruise cabins in the world. And they have done better to date coming up with enough funds to keep the operations alive for an extended period of time you know we don't know yet when people will be willing in big numbers to go on cruises again but the odds favor that these big three will be able to survive even if ultimately one or more of them have to file bankruptcy there will be likely willing buyers that look at the long term for this industry and how profitable it's become not just right now but normally and I would be confident I can't guarantee it obviously but I'm much more confident than I was two months ago that the big three will somehow survive even if the ownership nature changes of them. Kim?
2: Larry in Wisconsin says, I appreciate your articles on wireless companies that use Verizon's network, but you don't address an issue that's very important to those of us who travel a lot. Verizon always offers free roaming when their network is not available. Do other companies like Visible or Spectrum do the same?
1: So generally, no. When you use um, Visible, as you know, is Verizon's own captive brand that was designed as a defensive measure for all the millions of young people who would only consider going to t-mobile they came up with visible as kind of like a hip happening discounter for verizon's network from verizon but they never say their name anywhere Um, but it is them and then others like total wireless and spectrum and others are reselling essentially Verizon capacity so usually you will not have unless they have negotiated such an agreement with Verizon which I'm not aware of any of the resellers that have have done that you will not come under Verizon roaming agreements if you tend to go into more obscure areas with your Verizon phone you may find that there will be areas that coverage drops out where Verizon Uh, buys coverage rather than has coverage so that is a potential factor although only one time have i ever had that complaint from someone who's gone with a verizon reseller
3: that they ended up without coverage when they were out and about joel clark michael in florida says my son will be starting college in a couple of months He's gotten scholarships. However, we will still need to pay a pretty significant amount of the tuition costs. He's been getting correspondence from Sally May to open up an account with him in order to get a loan. Is that something that we should be looking into?
1: Uh, Probably not. You want to do federal student loans and federal parent loans rather than doing Sally May. Sally May is generally doing private loans, and I want you under the Federal Student Loan Program And if you go to uh, the U.S. Department of Education website at ed.gov, you'll be able to read the briefings about how you get those federal student loans and do those only. Jennifer joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show.
2: Thank you for taking my call.
1: What's up, Jennifer?
2: I was just wondering about all these used cars being snatched up. I was kind of looking to buy an SUV or a crossover, 17 or 18, but they seem to be going pretty quick, and I'm not in a real hurry to buy. I'm wondering if they're going to be all
1: gone in a few months or years no no we have an unusual distortion in the marketplace like if you had asked me this question um two months ago the marketplace for you buying one was fantastic for you buying a a new one or a used one but Mm -hmm. because the automobile factories were closed for 10 weeks it caused massive distortions in supply there just wasn't wasn't any being produced And even though the number of buyers out there is significantly reduced because of unemployment, because of coronavirus, there's enough demand that it kind of soaked up what was out there. So the manufacturers are making vehicles again. People are going to be trading in their older ones to get new ones. And you're going to see what I expect to be ample supply again at the end of summer or early fall. And since you're not in a hurry... I think it would be really big time to your advantage, Jennifer, to just wait a while, wait a few months for the marketplace to be resupplied. And that'll be your better opportunity to buy something. Okay. How many different vehicles are you considering in terms of uh, model years 17 and 18? Do you have your heart set on one or two particular SUVs, or is your.
2: Yes. The Toyota 4Runner seems to be in a lot of demand. I also like the um, the Subarus, the Foresters, and the Crosstrek.
1: Okay, so that's great. You named, you gave yourself a few models to consider. So again, if you wait till later in the year, and you just shop your uh, what is called your funnel is what they call it in the business the vehicles mm-hmm. that you're willing to consider, and you see which of those there seems to be the most opportunity for you to get a good deal in the market. And when you look okay. at a 17 or 18, um, what kind of miles are you willing to buy on a vehicle? How many miles on the odometer?
0: Oh, um, under 30,000.
1: Okay. So when you look at those, I'm going to say something to you that's going to really surprise you. But let's say you wait till late summer or early in the fall. I want you to also price a brand new version of any of the vehicles you're looking at and see if you save a sufficient amount of money buying a 17 or 18 versus buying a 20 or 21 that you may find there's a window this fall where it will make more sense for you to buy a new one than a used one, which you would not normally hear from me glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have and when earlier this year the stock market went through its extreme swoon where it just fell through the floor I had so many family members and friends calling me and saying what should I do what should I do what should I do should I get out should I get out And uh, you know if you've listened to me for any period of years, you know how much I stick to my strategy of having a plan and being diversified and continuing to contribute and ignoring what happens with the market in the short term. But I don't know if you saw this report from Fidelity Investments that found that a lot of people just bailed and sold out all of their investments into the decline so in the midst of the market falling off a cliff earlier this year they sold everything for people of all ages almost one in five sold out their positions completely when you look at people that are in retirement age Roughly a third sold everything they had, and that is completely normal human behavior. Now, the market will go up and down as it wishes over time, particularly in times of uncertainty like today. And who knows where we're headed from here in the shorter, intermediate term. But the key with this is to always think about what you're trying to achieve, what the goal is. You know, you can understand why you'd have roughly one in five people of all ages that would be overwhelmed by the bad news and sell out everything. You'd understand why, if you were older, it would be a much higher number, one in three. Because if you're in retirement, you don't have necessarily the luxury of time For my normal routine which is you just ride it out and you know you know that over time uh, people innovate and as you're an owner of enterprises that's how you create wealth and by owning funds or uh, stocks or exchange traded funds you are in the equivalent position of being a tiny owner of a, a company or a variety of companies so That's why I always talk about how you have the appropriate mix of investments based on your age. And as I talked about on the air a couple of times, I also, because of my age being 65, I have money available in municipal bond funds so that even if the market cratered to ugly, ugly lows... I don't have to worry about it for a significant number of years because of the money I have diversified into uh, municipal bond funds that I can live on if I need to draw on it. If somebody's all in on stocks, a lot of times guys will get that way where they're like, yeah, yeah, this is where to be. Stocks only go up and they put all their money in it. Then you have too much exposure, too much risk, especially when you're older. So... That's why with 401k investors, I tell you only to look at your statements four times a year each quarter and ignore all the news because in a 401k, typically you are in for the long haul. And remember this key rule. If you're younger and a market goes through a significant and long decline and you continue to contribute as you have before, through that decline ultimately when the market recovers whether it's years down the road months down the road whatever you end up with more total money later than you would have because of your ability to buy more shares with every dollar you're putting in which means when they recover it boomerangs to create even more financial security for you down the road but I do understand the fear with people that are near retirement or in retirement just remember have the right mix of what you're doing with your money to give you the ability to sleep well at night even if the market's declining it's time for your questions you posted at clark.com ask and who's up now It's me, and this
2: is from Angela in Georgia. Angela says, our daughter, a recent grad, just received an email from her landlord slash property owner that says that they're now going to be imposing an additional fee upon tenants for COVID-19 disinfection when they move out at the end of the lease. The lease agreement that she signed states that tenants are responsible for cleaning to get their deposits back the special fee was not in the lease. Yeah, they can't charge it. It seems to me like they're taking advantage of college students and that this should be the landlord's cost. And then she sent an excerpt from the email.
1: Yeah, so the landlord is hoping that people don't know that the lease is a contract. And unless there's some clause in the lease that allows them under unusual circumstances to impose an extraordinary fee, um, which almost certainly there is nothing like that that they can point to in that lease, that lease is a contract, that this is just a fake in it and hoping people will pay it. Because you cannot change the terms unilaterally of a contract, of a lease, and both parties would have to agree to this, and why would she? So what she should do is write back, don't call, write back, be respectful in the letter, but say, you know, I can't find anywhere in my lease where you were permitted to change the terms and charge me this fee. Could you uh, guide me to where this is in the lease and say it as friendly as you can and send that off?
3: Joel? Clark Alfred in Ohio says, why does one credit reporting agency on average report my FICO score 45 points lower than the other two do? It happens all the time.
1: That is a frustrating question because when I tell you the answer, I hope you're not mad at the messenger. So this is the story. Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian base what your score is going to be on the FICO scale on the data that's reported to them so you could have a loan or other item that's tracked for a credit report that reports to two of the bureaus but not to the third or vice versa and so you could have an item with two of the reports that is helping your score and on the third one by not reporting It hurts your score. So you actually would have to, and right now, remember this year, you can get free copies every week, if you want, from all three credit bureaus at annualcreditreport.com. Remember, it's completely free. They can try to sell you stuff there. Don't buy anything. Get all three reports and then check them side to side and see what is reflected on two of those that is not on the third, or what would be on the third that's not reflected on the other two, and that item, or if there's more than one, those items are why you have this 45 point discrepancy. Kim?
2: Aaron in Oregon says, Hi Clark, I've noticed that all inclusives to Mexico and other parts of the Caribbean are fairly cheap at the moment. I was looking to go later this year, maybe sometime in October or November. What are the odds of it being canceled if I was to book it now since rates are so low? But also, if I wait, do you think prices will go up?
1: I think the odds are that we are in a real low point for prices and travel is the number of people who are willing to travel has gone from 6% of potential travelers to now close to 20% of potential travelers Uh, travel industry places are already seeing hotels resorts that kind of thing are already seeing more bookings than they had seen in months and as bookings continue a progression recovery we'll see prices go up so if you're seeing deals that are just extraordinary don't kick yourself if i'm wrong in a couple of months from now they're even cheaper Because I do think we're scraping the bottom on prices now. And just know the risk to you is that if you later decide not to go, you're going to lose that money. And the alternative that I've mentioned is buying cancel for any reason trip insurance. It's expensive. It'll cost you about 9% of the cost of the trip. But it would get you back three quarters of your money if
3: later you decided not to go. Joel? Clark Michelle in Connecticut says, you've always said it's best to keep your car as long as possible. I bought a big SUV back in 2014 when my kids were younger, and we used to travel for sports. Now my kids are older, and I don't really need a big car like this. So does it make more sense for me to get rid of the big SUV and downsize, or to keep it?
1: Yeah, sell the SUV for special marketplace reasons. So SUVs with gas prices being as low as they are have been one of the um, bright spots in the vehicle market. Pickup trucks have been the biggest bright spot, but SUVs too. So it doesn't fit your lifestyle anymore. If you sell it and then you buy another used vehicle more appropriate for you, uh, a passenger sedan, passenger sedans, if you're willing to drive a car instead of some kind of, crossover SUV they're so unloved right now the price is used or depressed the price is new or depressed and so in your circumstance there's no reason for you to pour all that fuel into the tank let somebody who really wants or needs that SUV to do that and this is good timing for you to make that switch
4: this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance
1: Hello, Clark. Nice to talk with you. Nice to have you here. And, Troy, you are someone who is interested in the financial well-being of an organization that people do business with, so you can have financial well-being. Tell me about that. I work
0: at a hospital where I have employer-funded insurance. It's about the value of my yearly salary. And I purchased an additional 100000 through that same program. But if I ever leave my job, that goes away. So I wanted to have something independent of uh, my employer. So I'm looking at uh, a couple of different policies. Uh, in, the, in the area, about uh, half a million. The second one I'm actually looking at, it combines long-term care, disability, and
1: a uh, death payout. That's what's known uh, as a hybrid policy, and those have become a very popular option of late for people in their 50s or early 60s. And do you have to pay the premium on the half-a-million-dollar policy all at once or over a 10-year window?
0: Uh, They're going to give it to me uh, to where I can make uh, payments over
1: 20 years. 20? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's unusual for this kind of insurance. So the idea of hybrid insurance is that the long-term care insurance market has been so troubled that um, premiums have not been guaranteed and people see huge increases in the premiums over time and most insurers selling long-term care insurance have lost a fortune on it. So the insurance Hmm. industry reinvented long-term care by making it what's known as a hybrid product where they can fully calculate the risk and if you never need it, your survivors get the value of the life insurance but if you need it for long-term care it's baked into the policy and you're able to use it you pay more for a policy of a face amount 500,000 to have this hybrid privilege in it but it is a um, it's a legitimate thing
0: and I'm planning on going with it but uh, the company that uh, that it's offering it to me I've since I got involved in the application process, I found out that they have about uh, $9 billion invested in what sounds like some very risky investments called collateralized uh, loan obligations.
1: Oh, CLOs. Yeah, CLOs I hate. And insurers have uh, heavily invested in CLOs because they have had trouble getting enough yield in order to – Uh, meet all the obligations and promises they've made and so they've gone out on the risk ladder and have bought heavily into CLOs and even though the ratings agencies is the insurer rated a double plus by a invest i'm not sure but this is a very well known Oh, i don't care uh, how well known they are i mean they could have a very uh, established reputation they could be very well known from advertising but i would like you to check the am best rating on them and it's am best is you said am best okay and if their am best rating is a double plus then it would be unlikely that even with a nine billion dollar exposure because that's a relatively small amount of their total portfolio that they would likely to be doubtful as a going concern now for you if everything fell apart and they did um, in fact go insolvent then the state that they're based in takes over the operation and you end up receiving a portion of your benefit from a state guarantee fund and many of those are capped at 300000 So you would have, in the, in the remote possibility that they would go insolvent, no one would buy their book of business, and they had to be, um, go through a workout and a liquidation through a state guarantee agency. That would be when you'd take a haircut. You would not lose all the value, but you'd lose 40% of what you have in it which would be a lot so well,
0: it sounds as if a lot of these insurance companies are involved in these risky
1: oh yeah yeah i mean there's schemes. been there's been some news stories some well researched news stories about how insurers have been playing games buying more risky debt instruments and i hate it and there is a risk to you potentially if these riskier things become too much a percent of an insurer's portfolio but i don't think that's the case with this insurer you're looking at but that's why if the am best rating is a double plus then i would feel okay buying that policy you're listening to the clark howard show